Hi, welcome back to the horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. Episode 74, baby. Keeping it rolling. <laughs> Keeping it rolling. And we are here today with 2011's Your Next. Keeping with the slasher energy from last week. Yes, we are. And this is a movie that I have seen a lot of, especially the masks that the villains wear. And it was really cool getting to watch it and see what it's all about. This is like a classic one for me. This has been on our list for a while. And I literally said to Elise, Erin is going to be a fucking force in next year's Final Girls Broke Madness already because she's just insane. That's one of the reasons I wanted to cover it. And now we are. She knows how to do a lot of stuff. (laughs) She's Mm multi-talented. Well, let's talk about her and her actress, actually, because I think that the actress and her character are kind of a match made in horror heaven a little bit. Erin, our final girl, is played by Sharni Vinson, and she's in a handful of film and TV appearances like CSI New York and NCIS, but she was also an Australian survivor in the Heroes and Villains season. Now, you all have no way of knowing this about me, (laughs) but I fucking love Survivor. I'm a huge (laughs) fan of Survivor. And Australian Survivor is seen as the most comparable to U.S. Survivor in terms of entertainment value and just how great it is. And especially a Heroes vs. Villains season, like that's all the drama. I was just so happy to see this. I haven't watched Australian Survivor myself, but now I fucking want to because I'm sure she killed the competition. She was also, I remember reading, a really talented swimmer and athlete when she was in high school. So before she kind of broke into the arts. So she is a really athletic, strong individual, in addition to being the actress that she is. Next, we have Wendy Glenn as Z. She's also in a handful of film and TV appearances, including The L Word as Isabella slash Bev. I tried. I tried looking her up. I think she's a one-off love interest. And if I'm wrong, you can revoke my gay card. I don't know. (sighs) I'm interested in her credit as Isabella slash Bev. Immediately, I was like, okay, is there like an identity situation going on here? Is somebody lying about her identity? It's been a long time. (laughs) It's been a long time. There's so many seasons and so many women in that show. If you know, please send us an email. Next, we have Barbara Crampton as Aubrey Davidson. She's kind of our matriarch. She's in so many TV and film appearances, including 1986's Chopping Mall, (laughs) which I want to cover, and Reanimator, the Reanimator franchise, and The Lords of Salem as like a minor role and lots and lots of other horror credits. We have Amy Simetz as Amy Davidson. TV and film appearances, including 2019's Pet Cemetery, 2017's Alien Covenant, and 10 movies, all released in 2011. She was busy. I know, 10 movies, that's crazy. And then finally, we have Sarah Myers as Kelly Davidson. Kelly, she's a bitch, we love to see it. Those are our main ladies in the film. Also, the film itself is directed by Adam Wingard, who also directed The Guest and 2016's Blair Witch Project. The film was written by Simon Barrett, who also worked on the films listed above, and he also appears in this film as the Tiger Mask Killer. I kept getting all the masks mixed up because they were the same hue, and like, unless it was directly apparent who it was, I was like, oh, it's the lamb mask. Oh, wait, no, it's the wolf mask. Oh my god, what's the other one? Is there a hybrid? I kept getting confused. They all looked like the lamb mask. Yeah. I thought the lamb mask guy died, and then I was so confused. So yes, I had a similar experience to you. Some pre-plot trivia from IMDb. Sharni Vinson and Wendy Glenn were actually roommates and best friends before and during filming. Isn't that fun? Imagine being like tight with your bestie and getting cast on the same movie. 
And getting to fucking murder her. (laughs) (laughs) The primary filming location was in an antique home that had been empty for 12 years. And this home, it looks like that. Like a Tudor-style mountain mansion, old floral wallpaper. Some parts are under renovation. So I think the scene for this movie is really awesome. Both Joe Swainberg and Ty West, who play eldest brother Drake and Amy's underground director boyfriend Tariq, are two prominent mumblecore directors in the horror genre in which your next is also included. I don't know what that word means, but I'm glad that it exists. Yeah, mumblecore. That's awesome. And also the body count for this movie, and I won't specify much beyond this, is 15. This movie, once it starts, it doesn't stop. It rolls and rolls and rolls. Yeah, 15. That's a really high body count. So let's see how they die. Yeah, let's see what's going on here. So we open strong with a couple fucking through a crack in the door. We're seeing a point of view shot. So somebody's watching. Mm -hmm. We watch some dissatisfying sex end. It appears to be like a college age woman and an older guy who is dissatisfying. And who looks like Jack Nicholson. He does. (laughs) Like very much. So he goes to take a shower, and the woman walks about the house in his button-up shirt. All of his windows are open. It's giving very Halloween 1978, please close your blinds. Mm -hmm. But she does not. (laughs) She instead puts on some funky tunes, makes a drink, looks out, thinks she sees something, but oh no, it's just the hillbilly wind chimes is how I put it, because it's just a bunch of cutlery like hanging on (laughs) pieces of rope as our Minuteman showers. So she turns back around with her beverageino in hand, which, what the fuck is this beverage? It looks like vodka and like sweet and sour mix. No, I thought it was a screwdriver. I thought it was orange juice. Oh, is it? I guess it looked a little bit more yellow to me. Oh, maybe. I don't know. No, a screwdriver makes much more sense. So as she sips, the lights go on outside, like the motion sensor lights. Again, as she's looking out the window, the scene cuts out and we're back to the man And he gets out, dries off, and sees something on the window. And as he peers closer, we see that it's the words, you're next, written all jankily in blood on the window. And as his eyes focus, he sees on the other side of the window is his dead lady friend. And then he is promptly murdered. We cut to farmland in the daytime. An older couple is driving out to their property. They make mention that they see that their neighbor, Eric, who they gossip has just recently left his wife for his college student. Sound familiar? Is home because his car is in the driveway. What we're getting is that these folks do have neighbors, but they are very sparsely placed in the mountainside. So there are no direct next door neighbors. Everyone has a lot of land. And that becomes very apparent when they arrive at their fucking estate. Lots of big houses. This is not the first time I'll say very ready or not about this movie, but very ready or not. They go to go inside and notice that their front door is open already, but they explain it away to some workmen who have been doing some odd jobs around the house. We then cut to nighttime. There are more cars driving out to the property, and this is where we are introduced to Aaron and Crispin. I can't can't with Crispin's name. (laughs) There's so many funny names in this movie. Aaron is Crispin's girlfriend and will be meeting his family for the first time. Aaron notes that his parents must be loaded to have a house this far out into the country. She says that she's excited to meet them, even though he seems a little reluctant. 
So meanwhile, back at the house, the parents are preparing for the arrival of their children. (laughs) And mom, Aubrey, hears something upstairs. But shortly after she hears that thud, dad emerges and reveals that he was in the basement. So nowhere near the second floor. She gets freaked the fuck out and tries to convince him to leave. But he insists on checking it out. And I wrote, barbarian? Mm -hmm. But also in the conversation in the car earlier with Crispin and Aaron, Crispin makes mention that his mother's on medication. So already she's being coded as unreliable, which is so annoying. Like, I hate that trope where it's like the person for some reason is unreliable and you don't listen to them. But dramatic irony lets us know that we should really be listening to this woman right now because there really is somebody on the loose in the hills. But anyway, she waits outside in the driveway while he inspects upstairs. And this house is huge. Like we know that it's huge in theory, but as he's upstairs trying to maneuver through these rooms, and this is an old house. So this isn't like an open floor plan. This is like room after room. And he's about to open a closet to look inside. But then Crispin appears behind him and is like, why is mom crying in the driveway? So, you know, he says hello to his son, goes downstairs. Aaron is outside with mom, Aubrey, and they head inside. The camera zooms in on the last door left unchecked upstairs as they descend the stairs, though. So you know something might be happening. Yeah, something is totally happening. In bed that night, Crispin and Aaron talk about the house and how the rest of the family is arriving the next day. Mom is downstairs in the kitchen doing her nighttime thing, and we get a POV shot from the window, lots of these, and we can see the reflection of a person in an animal mask that appears on the opposite side of the glass. Mom doesn't notice it, but we can see it emerge in the reflection, and we know shit's going to go down very soon. The next morning, Crispin wakes up to a conversation happening downstairs. We also get the context the night before that Crispin's parents are hosting their 35-year anniversary dinner. Oh, yeah. Which is why all of his siblings are coming in from out of town. They just so happen to get there the night before. Crispin goes downstairs to see Aaron talking with his older brother, Drake, and sister-in-law, Kelly. Drake seems like a very overbearing older brother, teasing and beating up on Crispin and (laughs) calling him fat a bunch. (laughs) When I first met Drake, I was like, I hate you. But then I think Drake becomes, there's something about him. I just really grow to love him. He's very necessary. Yes, he is very necessary. He is (laughs) such good comedic relief. We realize that there is tension between Crispin and Drake, where Drake sees himself as just ganging up on his younger brother, but Crispin holds a lot of resentment. So (laughs) we're planting these seeds of resentment. Later in the day, Aaron offers to help Aubrey. And Aubrey's like, you know what? Can you run to the neighbor's house and ask our neighbor Eric for some milk because I'm out of it for dinner? Aaron goes to leave. She's taking candids of the boys as they do man stuff outside. (laughs) Man stuff. Well, because they don't show ever what they're doing. Like, you see that, like, Drake's looking down and being like, uh, dad, she's a beaut. And, like, you see the dad looks like he's priming something, but they never show what the fuck they're working on. And I thought that was so fucking funny. Aaron takes off to go get the milk. Crispin has a conversation with his father where he reveals that he didn't get the fellowship that he wanted. He's an academic. The father, Paul, scathingly comments, well, I'm sure there's other people who aren't as published as you that did get the fellowship or something. So again, we're getting the context that Crispin does not have a good relationship with his family. Upstairs, Drake enters into the bedroom. He's staying in with his wife, Kelly. She's just gotten out of the shower. Drake tries to get it on, but Kelly's like, um, I'm not in the mood right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> but they're also talking shit about Aaron. Kelly does not like Aaron. She's like, where did they find this girl? She's like, she annoys me because her accent is so jarring. <laughs> I'm like, girl, like, what? Erin <laughs> is Australian and yes. has the Australian accent for yes. the movie. But Kelly, you can tell she's just looking for reasons to shit talk. We can tell this is a shit talking couple. You know what energy this couple gives me? What? It's fucking Fitch and Emily from Ready or Not. Oh where, my god! Because Drake is just taking Vicodin to cope. <laughs> like, they're all just drugged up and miserable the entire time. Like, that's exactly what they remind me of, is just, like, the dumb husband and the wife that's on drugs all the time. Oh my god, but I they're love just that. flipped. That is perfect. I love that association. Meanwhile, Aaron arrives at the neighbor's house, and we can hear that the music from the previous night is now blasting. We can hear from the outside as Aaron approaches, which I think confirms that, hey, this is definitely the house that we saw in the cold open. So Aaron tries to knock on the door to get somebody's attention. No one's answering, of course. And then we have this eerie moment where we see the disc inside restart. We're just caught in this endless loop of listening to whatever album this is over and over again. But she turns around and goes home, which I love that she's like, well, I tried. Goodbye. Because I was half expecting her to be like, let me just walk around the house. Right. (laughs) Uh, But she doesn't, which is great. Meanwhile, Amy, who is, I guess, the youngest daughter, arrives with her film honey, Tariq, aka Ty West. And you know he's a film bro because he's wearing a scarf. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the youngest son and his girlfriend. Felix and Z. And I was like, Z, more like T for Tude. <laughs> because you can tell Tariq's doing his best to like ingratiate himself, like being so nice to meet you. And Z is pretty much like flicking her cigarette butts at the family on the front porch. <laughs> like she is just so fucking miserable, but I loved it. It's great. It's such an interesting room of personalities. Oh, yeah. Mom gets emotional at the reunion, seeing all of her kids together. Mm-hmm. They all sit for dinner as Paul, the dad, prays. And then Drake starts interrogating Tariq about what it is to be a filmmaker. You know, Tariq's saying, like, I had a documentary that premiered at an underground film festival. And, like, it's Drake's delivery half the time is what I love so much. He's like, what is an underground film festival? Do they show movies underground? Like, like just fully deadpan. And I just wrote, Drake is presumptuous and offensive and very good at it. Yeah, he's a ball buster. He is. Because he's like, have you ever considered doing commercials? Because I think that's like the highest art of like film entertainment. Maybe you should consider it. Like, he's just so good at being a fucking prick. But Tariq doesn't know how to react because he's like the plus one. He's meeting the family for the first time. He probably doesn't want to be a dick bag. And you can tell that he's just so disarmed. Like, there's no way for him to maneuver this conversation with Drake. But while everyone is chatting around the dinner table and we're seeing all of this tension continue to be sown after finally Drake leaves Tariq alone for a second, Tariq is looking out the window and we can see him see something. We don't know what it is. He gets up, walks over towards the window. Everyone else is distracted because Drake has then set his sights on Aaron. And this is where it is mm -hmm. revealed that Aaron was a former student of Crispin's, which a theme in this movie. Oh my gosh, yes. You pointed that out last night and I was like, oh my God, you're so right. What's up with all these former students? But it it doesn't really come up in any sort of concrete way. It's always just kind of exposition. Yeah, it's just Drake again being a prick where they explain that Erin is in the last semester of her master's. She was Crispin's TA and they didn't start dating until after she was done being his TA. But Drake murmurs... (sighs) unprofessional yes and that causes a fucking feud it does but where's the lie (laughs) 
And this is where no one notices Tariq getting up from the table because everyone's very preoccupied trying to (laughs) quell this argument that has erupted at the dinner table. And as Tariq gets closer to the window, he is promptly shot through the head with an arrow from a crossbow. And chaos erupts. They all panic as more shots fire in through the windows. Drake is shot in the back with an arrow, trying to cover for his mom, who is standing in front of the open window, just (laughs) screaming, giving very, uh, what's her name in the hills have eyes? Brenda. Brenda, yes, Brenda. (laughs) She's just there to scream. (laughs) You know, they're all ducking down under the table. Aaron finally gets mom down. No one has a cell phone signal. And Felix explains it away, saying, they're probably using a cell phone blocker. You can get them for like 30 bucks on the internet. And Drake screams, Felix, you fucking lowlife. <laughs> like, again, it's just this delivery by Drake where it's just like, why the fuck do you know that? <laughs> but this is where we see Aaron be smart for the first time. She forms a plan for everyone to grab the dining room chairs and use them as coverage to run across the open window space and out of the dining room, which is very heavily covered in windows. So they want to get to a room with less windows. So she facilitates that plan. And then this is where we have everyone throwing out their own game plans. Felix is like, someone needs to get to the cars. Who's fastest? And again, Drake, I'm the fastest, but I have a fucking arrow in my back. (laughs) Crispin says that he's fast, but then Drake fires back. How can you be fast if you never move your legs, you fat fuck? (laughs) I'm not fat anymore. Like, it's just all of this back and forth yelling. Amy's like, I'm the fastest. No one ever gives me credit for anything. Like, it's just, this is where this movie gets really fucking funny. I remember at least asking me like, okay, I'll do this movie, but is it funny? And I couldn't remember. It's funny. (laughs) It is very funny. They decide on Amy. They're in the foyer at this point. Amy backs up. She gets ready to make a running start to the car. She starts going as two people are on the doors, the double doors, and opens them up. She runs out in slow motion and then promptly runs into a thin, barely perceptible wire that is strung across the front porch where she slits her own throat. She's dragged back into the house where she very quickly dies on the floor and impending doom is even more clear after this moment. One couple down. I don't know why they ever thought that was a good idea. But think about who's facilitating it. Mm. Wow, that makes so much more sense. Watching this back, having seen it as many times, it becomes obvious what the twist is. Uh huh. But yeah, when you're watching it, you're like, yeah, why? Why would you go to the cars? Why would yeah. you do that? Oh my God. Okay, wow. Okay, great. Wow. Then I definitely like this movie even more. So Erin jumps into action and she's like, we need to be making sure that all the doors and windows are locked. 911 has a new feature where you can text them, let's at least try to send out a message in hopes that it'll get through to someone. Downstairs, mom is still freaking out, rightfully so. Drake had like one pill of something, I guess, is this the Vicodin? I think so. And he can't feel anything, so he's doing great. I wrote, I'll have what he's having. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Mom is, oh my fucking God. They like escort Aubrey upstairs and lay her down on the bed and then just leave her there. Yeah, she's sobbing. And then she even says, stay with me. And they don't. Yeah. Dad is like, I have to go check on the kids or whatever. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Anyway, she is left upstairs and dad goes back downstairs and then mom is murdered. Yeah. But this is spliced with Aaron looking for weapons in the kitchen. 
as she gets too close to a kitchen window, someone reaches in, grabs her by the hair, and tries to, like, get at her. But she takes the kitchen knife that was in her hand and stakes them in the arm, but they take off before she can unveil them or really do anything about it. And as this happens, Aubrey screams upstairs. Yes. And so everyone runs upstairs where her body is discovered. And your next is written again in blood on the mirror. Dad is very sad, obviously. And then they leave the room. But Kelly is left in there. Yeah, Kelly and Z had followed up from behind. And as Crispin is like dragging the dad away, Kelly begins to investigate. And I'm like, not a smart fucking move being that it is all now but confirmed someone is inside the house. I guess there's an open window that they see and assume means that the perpetrator has left. But it is so fucking stupid. We have this moment where she checks under the bed and screams. Are we to assume that the perpetrator is indeed under the bed? Lamb face pops out. Oh, lamb face pops out. Right. Okay. So he is there. I was probably shielding my eyes because I was scared. (laughs) I hate a slow check under the bed. So anyway, she screams and runs out of the house. Drake goes after her. I love that she knows to duck under the wire and yeah. he keeps, keeps it moving. <laughs> Drake goes after her, but his arrow gets caught on the wire, like a little hook. And he faints because of the pain of the arrow being pulled in his back. It's not pulled completely out, is no, it? No, it's just yanked. Yeah, and he's like, bye, and faints, which I love. So he's dragged back inside, but Kelly is out in about in the wilderness now. Z again starts encouraging, hey, maybe Kelly got away. Maybe we should all try to run. Crispin says he's going to go run for the car, pull it up so that they can load Paul and Drake in the car since Paul is hysterical and Drake is injured. Aaron tries to convince Crispin not to, but instead just arms him with a meat cleaver and he makes a run for it. Meanwhile, we see Kelly battling through the forest and she arrives at Eric's house hearing the music. So she comes up on one of his walls that's all windows and sees who we think to be Eric sitting on the couch. So she's banging on the glass, being like, let me in, let me in. Kelly sees a reflection behind her and then is promptly punched through the window. That's a note I have about this movie is like, glass isn't real. (laughs) Because the slightest bit of force in glass is shattering at all times. But I thought this scene was really tense. I liked it. Kelly's crawling on the ground as a mask stalks behind her with an axe very slowly. She looks up and realizes that Eric is indeed dead and has just been propped up on his couch. She is thrown through a coffee table and killed with an axe in the head via a golf swing. Was it that? Yes. Wow. Because the joke that men will just start golf swinging everywhere. Like if if men are bored, they just practice their golf swing. And the fact that this guy just takes an axe and golf swings an axe into this lady's face was so fucking funny to me. He couldn't pass up on an opportunity to practice. He had to practice his form and just (laughs) got her in the fucking face. And then he calmly sits next to Eric's body with a head tilt. And I'm like, ooh, this is fucking incredible. This is unsettling. I love this. That was a really good scene. It was. It was a really good scene. And this is where the man, Eric, looks so much like Jack Nicholson. Like, if you thought he looked like Jack Nicholson when he was alive, he looks a lot like Jack Nicholson. Like, from The Shining. Yeah, Frozen Face. Yeah, Frozen Face. Yes. 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 So much like him. Okay, so back at the house. Christmas back, right? Yeah. Did he just, like, they didn't really show that journey. Yeah, no, they didn't show anything. He makes it back from whatever recon mission he went on and decides he's going to go back out there for help. He argues maybe Kelly got past them. Maybe he can too. 
And so Aaron and Crispin say their goodbyes and he's off. And I was like, oh my fucking God. You know, when you meet your partner's family for the first time and they leave the room to like go refill their water and you're left alone and you're like, fuck. Imagine leaving your fucking girlfriend in a room alone with your parents when this is happening. This is like next level abandoning your partner when you bring them to meet your family. (laughs) So much fucking pressure. So Aaron goes into tactical mode and says, okay, one of them is probably still inside the house. And that makes Paul irate being like, the man who killed my wife is in here. I'm going to get him. While he's being angry in another room... Z, Felix, and Aaron game plan on in what room should they wait it out. Aaron rules out the basement because they could just pour some gasoline and a match down and it would be fine. And both Z and Felix like look at her like, oh, you've thought about this. Okay, weird. But she instead goes and collects all the sharp weapons. And as she is walking with all of the knives in the house back into the living room, I didn't realize this at first. But I think wolf mask or fox mask, whatever it is, throws Kelly through the window and knocks Aaron over. I just thought he jumped in. I did not realize he threw her fucking body through the window. I didn't realize that either until they show a shot afterward and we see Kelly's body in the window. I thought it was like a plot hole because later in the movie, when they're not telling Drake that Kelly's dead, they say, oh, we got to cover her body up. I'm like, she didn't die here. Mm -hmm. But then I had to like think back like, oh, okay, she was thrown through the fucking window. Yeah, damn. But I'm also confused because I thought the lamb killed Kelly. It must have been the fox. And I just saw it wrong because they all look the same. Listen, don't hold me to the kill attributions of any mask. I just started calling them masks at one point because there's three of them and they all look the goddamn same. (laughs) Yeah, Kelly's body breaks the window. One of the masks takes Aaron down, but she's able to maintain hold of a meat cleaver and she whacks the shit out of this assailant a bunch of times. And I just wrote, it is clear that Aaron is not like other girls. (laughs) (laughs) She practices her swings in the scene and the guy is killed. Meanwhile, Felix and Z are not helping. They're just kind of looking (laughs) on in shock and she even calls them out. Aaron goes, well, thanks for the help, by the way. And Felix is like, look like you had a handle on it. (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) Which he's not wrong. But they weren't eager to help her, which is like, no. "Hmm." Well, for me at this time, I was like, this really underscores, I think, their helplessness. Because they come from like this really privileged family. So I was like, this is tracking that they're just kind of like useless. (laughs) So then Aaron looks around, realizing that Paul, the dad, is missing. Cut to Paul, roaming around with a knife upstairs, finds the closet he didn't check filled with hideout supplies, including like energy bars, water, and a water bottle full of piss, Mm -hmm. showing that whoever killed Aubrey has been staking out the house for at least a couple days as long as they've been there watching them. And then the lights go out. Aaron goes to check out the circuit box while Felix says he's going to go look for his dad. Paul's walking around upstairs with a mask tailing him, and Felix and Z, there's a little jump scare there. Paul reveals that the attack wasn't random, that they've been staking all of them out, and then Paul is attacked from behind with his throat slit, and as he reaches for Felix to steady himself as he's, like, dying... Felix pushes him off disgusted and watches him die. Yeah, this is a very jarring moment. So dad is dead and Felix looks at the assailant and is like, did you have to do that in front of me? Ooh, um, sorry? And this is where we find out that Felix and Z are totally in on whatever is happening right now. 
So he goes to wash the blood off his face as Aaron roams the basement. And as she's roaming the basement, one of the masks is roaming the first floor with a gun and Aaron hears his movements. This mask discovers the other dead mask, the one that's been eviscerated by the meat cleaver, and begins sobbing, raging, flipping tables, screaming as Aaron listens at the basement door. So this guy arms himself with a crossbow and an axe and walks about the house angrily as Aaron arms herself with more sharp objects, lol. I was like, there's just so many sharp (laughs) objects. But the mask hears Aaron fumble with something on the other side of the door, approaches it, and their eyes meet through the keyhole. Oh, my God. But just when we think Aaron is totally screwed, Drake wakes up. They hid him, like, right underneath a window in this, like, window bay shielded by curtains, I guess, to keep him safe while he was passed out. It looks like a really good place to nap, honestly, because it looks like there's like enough room where the curtains meet the wall, but there's a little alcove and they just rolled his body in there. It's like there should be a bench there, but there's not. So there's all the space on the floor. Yeah. Anyway, Drake emerges and his presence disarms the mask long enough that Aaron is able to bust through the door and stab him and send him running. Yeah, he runs out the front door, and then Felix and Z run back downstairs as Drake is asking where Kelly is, and Aaron lies about knowing where Kelly is, because they all know that Kelly's dead at this point, but Drake does not, because her body's covered up with a sheet on the floor, I think, at this point. Felix and Z say that Paul is just lying down, so obviously they're a bunch of fucking liars. And they all decide to head down to the basement to look for weapons and things to board up the windows because they just keep coming in and out of these windows like a revolving door. Drake and Felix head downstairs. Aaron and Z are left upstairs. And this is when they're constructing those little like nail boards, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they already have some wood. They're nailing through the wood so they can make little like... I want to call them rumble strips, but I know that that's only for vehicles. Yeah. But anyway, it's like a booby trap. So if you step through the window, you're going to step on a nail and you'll be totally screwed. So this is kind of an intense scene because we know Z is bad news bears and she grabs one of those nail boards at one point. It seems like she's going to try to whack Aaron across the head, but is somehow distracted. In the basement, Felix and Drake are chatting. Finally, Felix divulges to Drake that Kelly is dead. Obviously, Drake is very upset by this. And then all of a sudden, Felix stabs Drake. With all of the sharp objects. Yeah, all of them, right? He keeps grabbing screwdrivers from the table and he just keeps filling Drake full of screwdrivers and then Drake falls to the floor dead. Yeah, he even says, would you just die already? This is hard enough for me. I know, it's such a funny scenario. Not funny, but the dialogue here I was grateful for. It was a little bit of comedic relief. Yeah, I wrote that Drake drops looking like Margaret White at the end of Carrie. (gasps) Yeah, Because she has all the sharp objects sticking out of her. Oh my gosh. And meanwhile, as we're getting like a fake jump scare with Z trying to whack Aaron in the back of the head with this nail board, this is where we get the context that Aaron actually grew up on a survivalist compound in Australia, (laughs) which is why she knows how all of this like protective (laughs) shit works. Because he's like, why do you know how to do all this? And she was like, oh, yeah, I lived in a survivalist compound until I was 15 and moved to the States with my mom. But I kept some things in my back pocket. And we're like, oh, okay, like, this is why you're so unkillable. Rad. <laughs> nice. Promptly, Erin decides that she's going to go upstairs and check on Paul. There, she discovers his dead body. 
a mask comes up behind her, but she jumps out the freaking window before he can get to her. She lands, shakes it off relatively quickly, which is crazy because she had literally nothing to break her fall. She flung herself. Again, glass isn't real. No, it's not Just sent herself flying out the second story window. (laughs) And she makes a run for it. She finds some shrubs to take refuge in and then turns on a small flashlight to check a leg wound that happened when she busted through the glass. Well, it's real enough to freaking stab her in the leg, like, pretty severely. A mask arrives, probably seeing the fucking flashlight, tries to get her, but she makes a run for it back to the house. Earlier, we had seen Z open the door, I guess, to make entry easier for these assailants. But that is the open door that Aaron uses to get back inside, which I liked that it was kind of like a turning tables moment. She shuts the door, locks it, and she's back in the quote-unquote safety of the house. She hides in one of those window bay areas that Drake had been in earlier. Yeah, the mask stalks in after her, but he comes through a window and promptly steps on the nail board, obviously derailing his plans. And then Felix, hearing his screams, comes down and starts bullying him, saying, like, what am I actually paying you for? (laughs) But this is where Aaron begins to overhear that Felix and Z are in on the plan. So Felix storms upstairs and sits on the bed where his dead mother is laying, proceeds to try to comfort him by trying to fuck him next to his mother's dead body. (laughs) And he doesn't want to, you know, he's not in the mood and she bullies him for it. And is like, you never want to do anything interesting. He's like, I don't think that's a fair criticism. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, then fuck me next to your dead mom. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's very funny. (laughs) It's just showing how, like, ruthless C is because he storms off and then she takes Aubrey's wedding ring off Mm. of her corpse and is, like, trying it on. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is fucking evil. But I love it. Meanwhile, Aaron's phone goes off saying that her emergency message was received. But, of course, this ding gives away her location. So the tiger mask goes off to look for the source of the sound She runs outside and everyone goes running after her, but instead of running toward the woods, she circles back and climbs back in through the window. Felix, Z, and one of the masks goes running off into the woods, but then I think it's Lamb Mask or some other mask, the one who stepped on the nail, he obviously can't run very far, but then he looks over to the open window and is like, maybe she circled back and went back in, which is exactly what she did. So as the crowd goes running into the woods... He tries to climb back in through the window, and she stabs him in the forehead with a knife. He goes down, and this is where we get the window silhouette DVD art. It's very iconic. It's very cool looking. Yes, but now she just has this door booby trap set up, where when the front door opens, an axe will swing down. I wrote, we have a Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street in the house montage, where she just starts setting up all of these little traps. But it's also a little bit nerve-wracking, because it's like, well, what if Crispin tries to come back through the door or something? I guess she assumes he's dead at this point. Yeah, probably. He has seen himself out of this movie at this point. Yes, we have not heard from Crispin in a while. Two masked men down, but there are still three people left because we know Felix and Z are also evil. So then Z, Felix, and the last mask start arguing about what they should be doing. So the mask decides, I'm going to go double back to the house in case she did. You guys keep looking along the road. Felix and Z demand the crossbow. I wrote LOL, more a crossbow is actually a lot harder to use than you think it is lore. We've seen this in a couple movies at this point, right or not being one of them. Wolf Mask does not go through the front door. He, again, makes his entry through the window and goes after her in the basement. 
There's this cool shot where she sets up her Polaroid camera. It's her digital camera. or Well, sorry, a flash camera Mm -hmm. of some degree. Sets it up and then knocks all the lights out in the basement so that he's searching around for her in the dark. And the only light that you're seeing is through these continuous flash shots that are filling the room with light periodically as the mask approaches. Aaron bludgeons him to death with something. I think a brick. I don't know. But now it is just Aaron and Felix and Z left. Uh Uh-huh. And thank God for digital cameras, you know? They don't make them like they used to. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, he is left in the basement. She makes her way upstairs as Felix and Z spy her through the window. She's back upstairs now. They spy her through the window. They try to shoot her with the crossbow. It looks like for a second Felix might have gotten her, but when they peer in, she is gone. So they enter through the window. They search for her throughout the house. Felix also turns off the cell phone jammer in his trunk, which is funny because he joked about this earlier. That becomes an important plot point a little bit. I totally missed him turning off a cell phone jammer. Well, he goes into his trunk after he shoots at her to, I guess, grab a hunting knife. But then he Uh, also turns the cell phone jammer off mm -hmm. because that's how a character is introduced back into the story. It looks like Aaron clocks Z and briefly incapacitates her. Felix makes it into the kitchen. There's some frying pan whacking. Felix is incapacitated. Kitchen fight scene, kitchen fight scene. Yeah. Yeah, there's hot oil being thrown. There's pot smacking. And there's also a blender. (laughs) Aaron plugs in this blender. Flips it upside down and turns it on over Felix's head and kills him. In Felix's head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is a very strong industrial blender. If there are two things this movie thinks are very permeable, it is the human skull and it is glass. Yeah, anyway. Because it apparently is very easy to plunge sharp objects into the base of skulls because it has happened, I think, three times at this point. Z is killed. How is she killed? Essentially, as she's blending... Felix's brains. Mm. <laughs> Z stabs her in the back with a knife. Uh huh. And I think the shock of the moment stuns Z for a second. And after she's done with Felix, she takes the knife out of her own back and plunges it into the top of Z's skull. That's right. Wow. That's a moment right there. And she like slinks down between the two of them, bloody and dead. And she's obviously fucking exhausted. She's had a night. And then Felix's phone rings. She fishes it out from his pocket, puts it up to her ear, answers the call without saying anything, but we hear on the other line, Crispin's voice. He's like, hey man, what's going on over there? I haven't heard anything from you. It was just too much for me. I had to get out of the house. You know I'm a pacifist. I can't deal with violent stuff. But this is telling us, oh my God, Crispin is also in on it. Meanwhile, he's just talking, 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 talking. Obviously, Aaron's not responding because she'll give away her identity. But he's saying, you know what? I'm going to come inside, see what's going on. And as he comes in the house, he turns and sees Aaron standing in the foyer with the phone up to her ear. And we were given a little bit of a hint that he was in on it because there was a scene earlier with two of the masks. They turn on Felix at one point because obviously it wasn't part of the plan for one of them to die. So they choke him out and demand more money. The whole shtick is that they're going to get their parents' inheritance money because their parents just retired. They're obviously very rich. One of the masks says to Felix, you two better be getting enough money for this. But you could be looking at that as Felix and Z, Mm -hmm. but now we know it's Felix and Crispin. Crispin begins burying himself and apologizing. 
he sheepishly asks where Felix is, and she deadpan says, I stuck a blunder in his head and killed him. And he's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then says, well, where is Z? I killed her too. Ah, I completely understand. Like, he's just like, ra- trying to rationalize it, but says, listen, you were never supposed to be harmed. You were meant to be the witness that could attest to the story. He tries to apologize and tries to tell her, listen, if you weren't so good at killing people and if you had just acted normally, my parents and siblings would be dead. You would have been untouched and we would be rich and on our way to a vacation in Paris. I'm like, oh my God, the (sighs) gaslighting. Yeah, very prevalent gaslighting. But he's like, listen, I'm now the sole inheritor of the estate. We can have a life together, maybe an engagement. He's like stepping toward her, continuing to word vomit, saying like, listen, you would be insane to throw all this away now. How about $500,000 towards your student loans? Or I go to jail and you get nothing. I love you. I promised I'd come back for you, didn't I? And then Aaron fucking just stabs him in the neck. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, she does. But right after she does that... She is then shot in the shoulder by, we see, a police officer who has arrived on the scene. Finally. Finally. Obviously, from his perspective, she seems like she's the assailant. He goes around, calls for backup, and then goes to enter through the front door, (laughs) (laughs) which we know is booby-trapped. The movie ends with him opening the door and us seeing something swinging towards his face, and that's it. Title card. That's the movie. Um, wow. Okay, so first of all, I've read in a couple places that there was supposed to be a You're Next 2, but the film performed really poorly at the box office. Even though it got a cult following at the original film festival, it was released at, which is funny because it's like they talk about a film festival Mm -hmm. and it was at a film festival. But anyway, its poor performance stopped the sequel from happening. I also don't think this movie is one that needs a sequel. It's like Ready or Not doesn't need a sequel. It's like perfect for what it is. It's encapsulating like one crazy evening of your life. And that's it. It doesn't need to be more than what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So I did go on to find some comments about what the film is meant to portray and some interview snippets from the writer of the film. So this is from thethings.com. The author writes, In the case of your next, the true meaning of the film isn't all that hard to spot, but it's effective because it was authentic to the lives of the filmmakers. Quote, I think director Adam Wingard and I, I being the writer, were way ahead of our peers in our willingness to talk openly about being very poor, Simon Barrett said to bloody disgusting of the film's true meaning. Everyone we knew was kind of broke, and it felt really relatable, the income inequality in America. I wanted to set that up and then try to pay it off in a way that was more in the tradition of a screwball comedy, where each character in the family has their own kind of motivations. Then people turn out to be different than you would assume they would be. Summon went on to say that he wanted the villains to have motivations that reflected this theme. Quote, I thought if we kept bringing up specific amounts of money, it would really call attention to that. We also focused on the notion that the father made his money through working for a defense contractor and the guys his children ultimately hire to come after him are veterans of one of our recent skirmishes. End quote. The idea was that these themes were and remain very much part of the culture of America, whether people wanted to admit it or not. Quote, But not a lot of people commented on any of that stuff, Simon admitted. To me, the movie clearly has a large theme of people being different than you would assume. I even think about how Aubrey sends Aaron out to go borrow milk. 
Like the fact that they are so wealthy, but you're sending presumably the poor girlfriend of your son to go do like the embarrassing thing of can I borrow this thing? Because you see in the beginning of that interaction, Aubrey kind of shirks her off. And then finally, he's like, oh, you can help me in this way by doing this errand running or doing this, you know, poor person thing when you have to ask for a favor or something like that, right? And we do have some dialogue throughout the movie of Aaron saying to Crispin, oh, like your family seems like good people for rich people. Mm -hmm. So again, it's very ready or not in that sense where you see Grace with the Lado Masses really wanting to ingratiate herself and is very grateful for the opportunity just to be marrying into a semblance of family regardless of the wealth. You know, we don't really get a lot of background as to what these people are doing, but we see like Drake and Kelly, for example, are almost very much like Adam Brody's wife in Ready or Not, where she marries in and she wants to cling to this money very much. But then you see these artists coming in and this resentment, whether it be Drake against Tariq for being like this underground filmmaker or whether it be Kelly against Aaron for being this Masters of English student, right? (laughs) So it is interesting. Just the idea that the numbers they're throwing out here are also crazy, like $500,000 for killing an entire family. But the fact that that money is throwawayable and justifiable to Felix, but it would change these three guys' lives. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy. So I think the theme, if we're talking horror, is uh, don't marry rich. Yeah. I do like this movie. And you're right. It is so cool looking back at those moments towards the beginning of the film when the chaos first begins, where I had initially thought, why are you doing this? That's so annoying. And now realizing you're right. Who is advising that somebody should run to the car? You know, so it is really interesting looking back and seeing all the ways that these characters were instructing people to make really poor decisions, which I think makes it even better because I think it at least like strengthens the logic of the movie. I did not know the plot twist, so that was really fun to see as well. So I like this. I I feel like this movie walked, so Ready or Not could run, really. I agree. I don't think it's the most profound thing you're ever going to see, but I think, (laughs) you know, I think it's very 2011, even just with all the stupid, silly fucking names. No offense if your name is Crispin. (laughs) Sorry for you. But, you know, it doesn't relent. And that's what I think is fun. Like you said, it's a kill count of like fucking 15. Like it's just like a fun little gnarly slasher just to turn your brain off to. And like I said, I think Aaron is going to give everybody a run for their fucking money (laughs) next March. So I'm just excited to see that. So if you would like to get in touch with us, please feel free to email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com and or feel free to follow us on Instagram. We would love for you to follow us on Instagram. We post updates. Sometimes we do polls. We love getting your feedback. We try to keep you posted on what we're doing. So again, you can follow us on Instagram at thehorrorspodcast. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye. Bye.